Hello, everyone. This is Rick with the Cyber Pro Podcast, where individuals share their insights because five questions in nine minutes, hackers never sleep. Question number one, who are you and what do you do? Uh, so I'm Ken Muir. Uh, I work for a company called LCM Security. Uh, I've been in the industry uh, since about 1993. Uh, I've been a hands-on uh, technical person. Uh, I come from a business background as well. So it's allowed me to get to the level where I'm at right now, which is kind of like a virtual CISO. Uh, for a number of different organizations that don't really need a full-time CISO uh, and there wouldn't really be enough work for somebody like that. Uh, so that's where I hope to kind of bridge that, that gap. Wonderful. I'm, I'm already going to throw out an additional question here because you and I had chatted about this prior to the podcast. You're a global thought leader. What does that mean? And, and, and what does global cybersecurity mean to you? So the, the global aspect of it really is that because uh, cybersecurity is a common problem across the globe, but it's not really specific to uh, any uh, country or uh, nation. I mean, there's different challenges around these things depending on the countries themselves, but overall it's really the same thing. So, you know, working with other people that are like-minded and really kind of looking at things from a global perspective, when we're looking for solutions, they're not based on just individual technologies or individual processes that people might use to you know prevent uh, these threats from becoming a, a, a real, a real uh, you know real life situation uh, but the idea is to really come up with solutions that are more uh, pertinent to what a global community would need themselves and try to you know bring all these people around the world to a common understanding and then and it helped to simplify uh, the problem uh, not that it's simple in any way but you know at the same time it's very complex the challenges around how can we simplify it the solution around this problem. That's wonderful. We got we got super deep, super quick, but let's go to the original question number two, and that is, why do you love being a cybersecurity professional? Um, it's it's interesting because uh, when I first got into this, it just seemed like a very uh, it seemed like a a novelty really. Because I mean, in, in 1993, you know, people didn't even know what the internet was, right? And then I was starting to learn straight away that uh, there was already a problem with it. Um, and so I started researching, you know, what what really was going on. And as time went by, you, it just became very interesting. I, you know, I developed my hacking skills ba uh, based in the late 90s. Um, you know, I developed my network engineering skills in the mid 90s. And so the combination of these things really helped me to <clears throat> understand how you could perpetrate this type of stuff within an, an organization's network. Uh, it was just niche, niche, you know, very, very interesting. It was more interesting than just continually building computer systems and installing applications. It was taking you into a different world. Um, I think X-Files had a lot to do with my fascination with this as well. <laughs> Back in the day, I used to love watching that show uh, because it was just, it just inspired the, imag the imagination. Uh, you know, obviously I had no idea where it would go because, you know, who was to know it was going to be you know, the massive thing that it is today back then. I, I remember that show, man. I just, Jillian Anderson. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> oh man. Question number three, cybersecurity is a top concern. What does that mean to you? So the, the irony is it's always meant something to me. It's just that, you know, in most recent times in the last few years, it's starting to bubble to the surface as being the concern that it should have always been. Um, and, you know, if you put this in terms of numbers, like we're on track for losing around $6 trillion this year in, you know, in, in ransomware and all other forms of uh, threats 
um, and stuff from these uh, cyber criminals. But I mean, companies were losing hundreds of millions even in the 90s. So this is not something where we lost a couple of bucks uh, a few years ago and now it's all of a sudden six trillion. This has been a, a thing that's been growing for all that time. Um, and so it's it because it's become more visible and it's has grabbing a lot more media attention and it's starting to touch areas that are really affecting our daily lives you know messing around with somebody's water treatment plant bringing down an entire pipeline uh, all these other things that what it's showing people is that the threat's real um, and it's beyond just messing with a single organization these are things that are actually you know uh, affecting whole nations uh, not so much, you know, the the water treatment plant, for instance, was specific to Florida, but it, it shows that it could happen anywhere and that we really, really need to start, need to start taking this more seriously. No, I think that's an amazing piece of insight. Question number four, what piece of insight specifically do you want to share with our community? So, you know, in, in doing this all these years, you can imagine, uh, you know, when I read about this uh, stuff voraciously with my own uh, research and people, you know, they've been lucky to meet uh, over the years. But um, one of the things I guess I, I've learned to understand is, is that the reason why most organizations are really failing is because they're not following industry best practice and standards. Uh, these things are already built. So they already exist in the form of NIST uh, in the various uh, standards. There's CIS, there's ISO 27000 series. Like these things are already built. These are your guidebooks on how to be secure. Uh, and but what I find is that most organizations are, are just shooting from the hip when it comes to cybersecurity. It's like, you know, they're buying the best firewall on the market where they don't really understand that these cyber criminals don't really care what firewall you have. It's not what they're going after. Uh, and in a lot of presentations that I do, I actually show people not, I don't actually do it, but I've taken screenshots to, to show people the process of, you know, how could I break into your organization? And I show them an example where there's a website that I can go on to um, and it basically has, uh, you know, a bunch of credentials that I can buy. It shows me where the access to your organization exists, the, you know, the weak points. These things are already cataloged and categorized on, on and available on the internet. Nobody's sitting around, you know, trying to figure out what does this company have for vulnerabilities? All this thing is, these things are already done. Everybody knows that every company in the world gets scanned continually. Uh, and for those reasons, like they get cataloged and they're put into databases that anybody can access. So, um, but one of the things that I've seen in person personally, because I've also been a part of building this is helping organizations to develop proper strategies around industry best practices. Uh, because that way you're, you're, you know, you're confining yourself to what the industry is recommending you should do as opposed to just guessing. So what we have right now is not an industry best practices approach to most, most organizations, it's more around industry best guessing. And these things are costly and they don't work. I mean, here in Canada alone, we have hundreds of thousands of companies that have been taken down by ransomware, hundreds of thousands. And so if you went to any one of these companies and said, you know, you know what do you have for technology solutions? They're all gonna tell you, well, we, we bought the best uh, solutions on the market. Well, why did you still get taken down then? it's not what you buy it's how you use it it's how does it fit into a grander strategy and then uh, you know how does that then translate to business logic that a business or board members and executives can understand because you're just buying stuff because you think it's a great idea is not a strategy um, but the companies that are you know successful at this are the ones that have 
A, uh, are working with industry standards and B, have the discipline to make sure that it's you know, effectively in place and that it's managed and maintained because it's not a fire and forget, you know, I bought the thing, plugged it in and it's great. It doesn't work like that. You have to be constantly managing these things. And so without those levels of discipline within organizations, they're just failing uh, at cybersecurity on a continuous basis. We only have 1.3 million businesses in Canada. And when you have a half a million companies that have been taken down, that's a massive amount of companies. Uh, and a lot of these companies don't survive this. This is one of the things that really needs to be understood. Uh, it's well documented that um, you know, 60% of businesses, small to medium-sized businesses go out of business uh, after a major breach after about six months. And a lot of times they just, they can't defend the damage to their reputation. If I'm a small 10 person company and I'm speaking from experience and I have a you know, contract with Coca-Cola and I lost some of their IP because my security wasn't good, you're not going to survive that. Um, and this is, this is one of the things I'm seeing happening more and more is that partners and other organizations that have partnered with people, they're now insisting that they prove that they have good security practices in place, proven practices, meaning that uh, it's not enough to say I have it, but I need to provide evidence to show you that I have it. And this is happening more and more as well. And I think that's also contributing to this sort of more general awareness around security. That almost seems like we could write an extra chapter in the art of war, but focus it on cybersecurity. So, you know, question. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I got a response to that. <laughs> please, no, please I, do. That's perfect. So I read The Art of War in 1995, and I read it probably a dozen times since. You know, there wasn't really a lot written back then, but I used that book to actually inform my thought process around how I develop secure networks and practices and stuff long before all these best practices came out. That was my book. And uh, I believe in that book, uh, you know, there should be <laughs> there should be another section in CIS on this that says, you know, you need to read this book. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I love that book. I, I think you're onto something. Maybe you need to author the the Art of War Cybersecurity Edition. And, and you know, I, I did there. think about that once. I, I, I was thinking about writing a book that said, you know, if Sun Tzu was a cybersecurity professional, what would he say, right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Question number five. What's your favorite piece of retro technology that just makes you smile? So, you know, it's funny. That was, that was probably the most difficult question <laughs> of all the questions that you have, actually, was, was that. But you know what came to mind, actually, was when I was at college, um, you know, everybody was playing Space Invaders and stuff. Um, I always remember this one machine that I went on. It was a, a three-dimensional sort of a tank fighting thing. It wasn't very, you know, 3D. It was very 2D at the time. And I love playing this game. But the trouble was with it is that, you know, being a poor student, I, I couldn't afford the 25 pence that it cost to run the game, you know, for the amount of times I, I, I was enjoying it. Um, you know, I'm working on the statue of limitation here is, is that I, I, what I figured out was the five pence piece, which was smaller than the 25 pence piece, <laughs> could work if I actually spun it in the coin slot. So if I actually spun the coin, it would bounce up and down inside the chamber and then pretend to be a 25 pence coin. <laughs> so I used to get five <laughs> times as many games out of it. And then I became a, a champion because I was able to play so many games. I used to play against other people, but uh, I love that game. It was so good. Oh, man. I love it when people 
re rehash those fun memories like that. It was epic having you on, Ken. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was good to meet you.